everyone. This is Dave DeBow here with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Today, zooming in from a chilly day in Tennessee, we've got Casey Franchini. And Casey is a very experienced real estate entrepreneur. You wouldn't know it from her youthful appearance, but she's been in the real estate game for a number of years. And what I really find interesting about Casey's approach is it's not the whole go big 10x, go massive scale kind of approach to things. Casey's got a very unique and quite frankly, refreshing look on real estate investing. So Casey, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dave. I'm really excited to be on your show today. So thank you so much for having me. Well, that makes two of us. All right. So Casey, let's jump in quickly without getting into too, too much detail. Just give us a, give us a big 30,000 foot overview of your journey in real estate. Sure. So I fell in love with houses from a very young age. My dad remodeled our house. We lived in a complete fixer, a crack house, actually. It was a crack house. My dad bought it with a VA loan and we fixed it up for the you know 15 years that we lived there. There's always something going on. Um, and in the early 2000s, you know, 2000 to 2008, we did a lot. Well, I did a lot of like house hunting and searching just for fun. There's a lot of new builds. I was in California. And so I would visit new builder developments hour and a half away from me just to go see. And I would even go multiple times. To me, a fun time on the weekend would be seeing open houses. So that's how my love started of real estate. And I got my real estate license and became an investor agent. And I would help find California flippers, their good investment properties. So that's my, that was my initial background before I moved to Memphis and started buying rentals. All right. So you were busy helping flippers flip houses in California. Then you moved to, to Tennessee and that's when you actually started. Did you keep doing the realtor business then or did you just kind of jump right into investing? Yeah, I did not want to be an agent anymore. <laughs> that's a lot of work. Well, I especially have- for flippers. I mean, that's got to be a thankless business. You, you know, they're grinding, grinding the sellers down to the absolute minimum and then yeah, I can see that being. Numb. It's a lot of driving around, you know, and I was mostly a buyer's agent. So you didn't have, you know, what do they say? List to last. But I looked really young when I was young and it was hard for me at the time to get million dollar listings when I looked like I was 15. Right. So I found my niche with flippers. They didn't care if I was green or from Mars. <laughs> so sense. yeah, I, right, didn't, so, I didn't want to do that again. Moving to, yeah, moving to Memphis, you said enough, enough of the real realtor business. Yeah. So did you start flipping because that's what you've been hanging around with? Uh, kind of no, I didn't, you know, and even before I moved to Memphis, you know, about a year or two before, maybe, yeah, three years before we started making tons of offers in the Inland Empire, Southern California for houses um, to, to buy for rentals. My numbers were good. I knew they would make money. We made several offers, you know, 40 of them. I remember I still found the contracts because I kept them all. Um, I found them recently in my, in my attic and I didn't forgot about it, to be honest. And I, I just never went far enough, you know, with the deal to get it closed. We were in several counters and I always would back out. And it's because I didn't know anyone that did real estate that did, you know, rentals because mm-hmm. in California, everyone would flip. So I wasn't real confident. And when I moved to Memphis, I said, that's it. I'm going to get someone to help me this time. Cause you know, this is a gold mine out here and I'm not going to be a weenie and I'm going to get rental properties this time. And so I made the decision that I wasn't going to let anything hold me back. Cool. So talk to us a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to real estate investing, because we got, you know, we're on episode, goodness knows what, when this one comes out, over 280 probably. I've spoken to a ton of investors who do multifamily, self-storage, mobile home parks, single family homes, flips, burrs, you name it. We've discussed it on the podcast. 
What is your philosophy personally around real estate investing and your preferred strategy? My philosophy and my strategy is to make it easy. To me, growing up, investing was always something you did with your hard-earned money. It was a place to put it, to grow, a place where you don't have to work hourly to make the money. It was a passive income. To me, that's what investment meant. And so my strategy is to buy properties with your hard-earned money, with your 20% down, and buy them in a very appreciating areas with good cash flow now and good cash flow growth potential for the future and just let them be cash cows. I mean, the cool thing about rental properties and especially, you know, single family or small multifamily, which is residential one, you know, two to four units, one to four is residential, even if it's a small multifamily, the big part of being successful is buying in good areas, not just buying for quantity and, oh, I just bought a, you know, 10 single families, but they're in D-class neighborhoods that maybe net $100 a month and you're constantly rehabbing them because you have not the greatest tenant pool. So I like to buy properties that once I do the hard work of buying them, fixing them up with quality repairs, materials, putting a tenant in place, that's it. I'm done, you know, and the property will appreciate increasing my net worth while I sleep. And the rents increase along with inflation and just regular market increases. I just listed a property yesterday for rent. It was our first rental that we bought in 2016. I just listed it. We bought it for 95,000, I think, or 92, something like that, 92.5. And at the time, it was renting for 1,075. I just listed it last night for rent again at 1625. So, yes. So that property in just a few short years is netting me after fixed expenses. Almost a thousand dollars a month. Not and only that, that's but, one but in those six years, how much has the mortgage been paid down on that? Right. So well, on that one, we got a 20-year loan too. So yeah. it's almost paid off. I mean, we have 30, 40,000, less than 40 for sure out on it. I could pay it off tomorrow if I wanted and make, you know, keep the whole 1600 in my pocket minus property taxes and insurance. So it, I mean, that's one house, just one. Awesome. So you're focusing on pretty properties. Well, maybe not pretty, but pretty neighborhoods, quality properties quality. In, in quality neighborhoods. And you're looking for long-term tenants and primarily single-family homes. Do you have a few small multis as well, or are you just really focus on? We don't. Houses? We don't. And there's not a lot in Memphis. They're in you know really, really bad neighborhoods or really, really expensive areas where you'll find the small multifamilies. And what I teach and preach is a minimum $800 a month rent. And you don't usually get that with a lot of small multifamilies, especially in Memphis. The higher the rent, the higher income the tenant has to have. And so just by default, they have a better, you know, should have a better credit score. They are just overall better candidates for being long-term rentals and wanting to pay on time. And, you know, they care more about their financial situation and they'll do what they need to do to pay rent in my opinion. So we try and buy properties that have a potential or a current or a potential of a high rental income. Now, are you doing anything massive to these properties, like adding a secondary suite or anything like that, or just, just keeping them as a single family home renting to one family? Are you doing furnished rentals, short-term rentals? What's your main? So we don't add on, you know, we don't do ADUs. That's not really a thing out here. Um, like I know it is in California. But we do look for added value potential. And matter of fact, just today, just a few minutes ago, I signed an offer on a property that was over, looks overpriced when you look at it. It's in one of the top zip codes. I mean, it's probably the top zip code in Memphis. Everyone that I know 
every investor that I know looks at that zip code multiple times a day. And this property has been on the market for five days and it looks overpriced. It's a two one. And I said, well, it still says for sale. It doesn't say pending or contingent. I'm going to call, call the listing agent. They have no offers on it. And she said, there's actually a third bedroom. The walls, there's just no door. Mm. You know, it's just like opened up to, to be like a den. So, and she said, she's, you know, they'll negotiate on the price. So I offer $39,000 below list on a property that's been sitting for five days in today's market. And I'm going to turn that into a three bedroom. So that is what I look for. And we did that with our last property that we bought too. We've, it was a two, one, and we turned it into a three, one, because it used to be a three, one. It's just not marketed as a three, one. Wow. That's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's run out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming Investor Attraction Workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code PODCAST. That's right, discount code PODCAST at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. Yeah, so that shame, shame, shame on, on the listing realtor for not putting that in there. But yeah, good for you well, for... she tried. I mean, it was way overpriced. But when it says right. a certain price and it's only a two bedroom, everybody skips it. Right. They don't even look at the listing up to that. No. Point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Very cool. So, what's, uh, you know, when you, for you and your family and for your students, what's kind of the sweet spot as far as number of properties you're targeting to get, time frame to do that in? cash flow you're trying to generate what do, do you have kind of a like a, a magic formula sort of thing when it comes to these kind of properties so i mean everybody wants to talk about their fine number what's their financial independence number and how much money do you need to retire on and they work backwards from that so it really depends on the individual and everybody's on a different path everyone needs a different amount of money everyone has a different level of risk they're willing to take and so it's hard to say i mean for some people they just want you know a couple of properties for some they want 10 for some they want 100 for some it's never enough so it just depends on the individual. And sometimes I feel bad for regular mom and pop people like everyday Jane and Joe's that go on, you know, Instagram and Facebook and all that and see these unicorn investors that have hundreds and hundreds of units and they just give up because it's like, well, shoot, I'm never going to be that. Yeah. You know, but good old social don't realize, media, right? Good old, huh? social media yeah, good old social media. Yeah. People don't realize that you only need a handful of properties to make a full-time income, a regular full-time income. So, without so having tell me to what, do what does that look like with your experience and the people that you train? How many properties does a person really need to create that full-time income typically? In, I mean, my, in my opinion, you need 10 properties, you know, cash flowing a minimum of 300 a month. And obviously that's a terrible formula in a way because you're going to buy a house one year, it'll be 300 a month. But as time goes by and rents increase, now you're making five, six, 700 a month on that first property. But let's just say, you know, every property makes 300 plus a month. That's $100,000 a year when they're all paid off. And that's just 10 houses. So yeah, that's okay. not a lot. That's totally doable. That's $100,000 a year at today's 
rate, but right. 10, 20 years down the road, it's going to be a heck of a lot more. Than it's that. going to be a lot more. Yeah. So, I mean, for, I think for most people, $100,000 a year is pretty good. And everyone would love to have that and not have to work for it. So mm-hmm. wouldn't that be amazing to have 100000 a year and not have to really do any work for it? And you can get so, to, so what get to that So what does that kind of look like as a time frame, Casey? Typically, the way that you're showing people how to do it, are you buying one property a year for 10 years, two properties a year for five years? You know, I mean, everybody's going to be different, but if, right. if you're going to set up like the perfect scenario for people, what would you suggest? I actually have a little picture like my husband made. It's on my website. It shows exactly this. And the cool thing about rental properties is that as long as you have, let's just say, for example, one bank account, all your income goes into one bank account after you know one year of the first property's rental income, now you've saved up enough for a down payment just from that income on a next property. So in year two, it's going to take you less time to save up for that second down payment because you have two properties putting money into the pot. And so after so many properties, every three months, you're able to replenish another 20,000, let's say, down payment for a $100,000 property. So you're able to buy faster and faster and faster the more that you have. So it might take a year for the first one to resave that initial money. And that's only saving from your income, from your, you know, your profit from your rental property. But after the second and third and the fourth, I mean, you're increasing your time going from 12 months to resaving it to nine months to six months. So that's the goal. Every three months, if you have 10, you can buy it. You'll have recouped your 20, you know, your 20,000 for a down payment and you can go buy another one. Yeah. Well, that, it starts to snowball. That's for sure. Snowballs. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't take 10 years. You know, it takes, it's a lot sooner than that if you save your money. Yeah. So again, it's not a matter of taking your 300 bucks a month cash flow and blowing it on a dinner out. Get your nails month. done. Yeah. <laughs> I hardly ever do that. Uh, <laughs> it's a matter of, of keeping that money and then putting that in towards you know, some of your own savings, ideally to get that next property, get that next property, if you want to be self-financing everything. Do you ever suggest kind of doing the whole refi thing to pull equity out of one property to buy more? Or does that kind of kill the whole purpose because you're not paying them down fast enough? No, you can totally do that. And people do the burr. And I'm just against, I'm not, not that I'm against, but I'm not bro constantly cash out refinancing your life away, like over and over and over again. Like, no, the whole point is- Because you got a ton of properties with, with very little equity and very little cash flow, quite frankly. Right. I mean, you know, when you, you have to keep, you know, 25% and usually the cash out refinances will only let you cash out 75%. So you're still keeping 25% equity, but it's always going to be that way. I mean- yeah. You know, that's, that's not my end goal. My end goal is to have properties paid off, you know, so it's they're free and clear and I'm getting most of the money. Like in the end, yeah, when you're growing, you know, do your cash out refinances, but let's not make that like the goal forever. Right. I mean, yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah, definitely for that. So you've had great success with this, Casey. I know you're teaching and training other people about this. Do you have any favorite kind of student success stories that you can share with us about somebody that's kind of applied your philosophy to to real estate investing, what they've been able to do? I mean, I have several students. I mean, my coaching program is a five-month program, and I have students that have never bought a house before in their life, not even own their own property, buy an out-of-state real estate investment, you know, single family or duplex, and then turn right around and be able to do it again a couple of months later. So once you acquire the skills and you know how to do it and you're confident in your market, you know, it's awesome because it's really just one, a couple of skills to learn. You know, you just need to learn one. You just need to learn how to do it the one time. You're not constantly relearning things all the time. And then you can just go out and do it over and over again. I had a one student recently who lived in Boston and 
they moved all the way to Florida, bought a two family house on one lot, moved in it. And then the other unit started an Airbnb for the very first time. And they're going to do that for a year. Then they're going to go move to Nashville and start burring. So, I mean, it's, you know, that's a lot to do in just like three, four months. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of this out of state investing, if I recall correctly, when we had a chat off camera, we were talking a little bit about that. You're not a big fan of managing your own properties. You're a big fan of outsourcing, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? So for, for out of state. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. it's hard to manage out of state. Even if you do a short-term rental, people use Evolve and you know, like you got to know what you're doing first. But as far as like, if you live near, then you should be your own manager. I do. I self-manage all of them. You save so much money. And I mean, you get to keep the 10%, plus you're not paying extra costs for when they upcharge you for repairs and maintenance fees. Right. You get to really have full control over your tenants and the selection any leeway you may give, you know, a lot of property managers are real sticklers and that can hurt your bottom line. So I'm all for managing it if you're close by, but yes, if you're far away, picking the right property manager can make or break you. Well, yeah, because I'm, you know, listening, I'm up here in Canada. I was just looking at statistics today, actually, the average single family home price in Canada right now is over $770,000. There's no way in heck we can make anything like that cash flow $300 a month and you know right. do, do this strategy. So the only way that this, I can see this working with single family homes is to go to markets where it makes logical sense and you can get those kind of properties. So that definitely would involve investing out of province, investing out right. of state. So what do you suggest to people as far as setting up a team? If they're like, I know you've got a lot of clients in California, crazy mm-hmm. expensive market. So they, they are investing out of state. Any suggestions for those kind of folks on how to get the team set up? So one of the most important team members, there's, well, there's two that you really need to have. And it's a real estate agent and it's a good property manager. You need a real estate agent first. And I would not recommend going to try and buy an off-market property with a wholesaler in a market you've never bought in before. It's mm-hmm. just, you know... Don't do that. Get it. Do the safe bet first. You know, your first investment property is detrimental to your success, especially if you're using all your savings to buy it. You don't want to wing it. You need you need as much help and boots on the ground as you can. And so you want to find an investor friendly real estate agent. And the reason why that's most important is because I was a real estate agent for seven years, residential, you know, regular old agent, and they don't tell you anything about investments, investment properties, rentals, nothing. So you're going to go find Sally Sue on the billboard, number one realtor in Oklahoma, and she's not going to know how to help you. She doesn't understand rental values and she won't want to help you because your price point is too low. So find an investor friendly agent that works in the area that you're looking in because you're going to really need those potential off-market or pocket listings and the help with rental comps and things like that. Makes sense. All right. And then the second one would be a property manager, right? Yes. Property manager, because you're basically giving the property management company full control over your property for the first year. You know, you're, you're in contract with the property management company and you're signing a year-long agreement. Sure, they can let you get out after, you know, a few months with a penalty fee or whatever. But, you know, you got to look for the red flags of the property management company. And when they keep charging an arm and a leg every time a new, you know, they put a new tenant inside. Well, what's the incentive there for them to keep good tenants in when they make their money off of re-signing fees and releasing fees? They just throw anybody in there. And if they the people bounce in the middle of the night you know, within the third or fourth month, well, great for them, the property management committee, because now the owner, you get to pay another one month leasing fee. 
So finding a good property management company that is really on your side is important to you not losing all your money. Makes sense. Casey, fascinating stuff. Congratulations on your success with single family homes and what you're up to. I, I love it. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, what should they do? Sure. They can always email me, Casey at brickbybrickwealth.com. And I have a website, brickbybrickwealth.com. And I am mostly on Instagram every single day and I answer every DM. So if you're on Instagram at brickbybrickwealth, then feel free to reach out. Love the name, Brick by Brick Wealth. That's right. Brick by Brick. (laughs) Brick by Brick. Casey, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you, Dave. All right, everybody, take care and we will see you on the next episode. Well, hey there. Thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book right back there. There it is. The Money Partner Formula. You can get a PDF version at InvestorAttractionBook.com. Again, InvestorAttractionBook.com. Take care.